0: In the year leading up to the 2020 election, we are counting down the biggest scandals in American political history. This is number three, the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal, when the president's illicit affair with a young intern nearly brought down his entire administration.
1: March 29, 1997. President Bill Clinton was still on crutches from a knee injury. But that wouldn't stop him from having one last rendezvous with his former intern, 23-year-old Monica Lewinsky.
0: The president had told Lewinsky several times before that they needed to stop their illicit affair. It was dangerous. They could get caught.
1: Still, he continued to call her and invite her to White House events. And since this was their ninth such encounter, Lewinsky had no reason to think it would be the last.
0: With the assistance of Clinton's secretary, Betty Curry, Lewinsky was able to sneak into the president's private study in the Oval Office unnoticed. There, Clinton greeted Lewinsky with a knowing smile and slowly closed the door behind her.
1: When Lewinsky left his office close to an hour later, he once again asked for her discretion. And once again, the former intern promised their little secret was safe with her.
0: Or so she thought. Soon, that little secret would be headline news across America and her young life would be forever tied to it.
1: Welcome to Political Scandals, a ParCast Original. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Political Scandals and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Political Scandals for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Political Scandals in the search bar.
0: Today, we'll delve into the controversy surrounding Bill Clinton's affair with Monica Lewinsky the sex scandal rocked 1990s America and led to contentious impeachment proceedings that would forever tarnish Clinton's presidency.
1: Coming up, we'll explore Clinton's fall from the top. Stay with us. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by The Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10
0: scratch-off, the $500,000 platinum jackpot. Bill Clinton was inaugurated as the 42nd president of the United States. The former governor of Arkansas had won in a landslide against the unpopular incumbent, George H.W. Bush.
1: The new Democratic president had run as a centrist, promising to improve America's lackluster economy. His de facto campaign slogan, It's the economy, stupid, equipped from political strategist James Carville, was a hit with voters. With Democratic control of the House and Senate, Clinton held the power necessary to make his platform a reality.
0: The first two years of Clinton's presidency were notable for a flurry of new legislation. He worked with Congress to pass and implement tax reforms like the Federal Insurance Contributions Tax Act, or FICA, which funds Social Security and Medicare. To address the deficit inherited from George H.W. Bush, he also worked to pass legislation that increased taxes for upper and upper middle class taxpayers and for corporations.
1: Clinton also signed the Brady Bill, which mandated federal background checks for gun purchases, and NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement. The latter was meant to supercharge trade between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. But the honeymoon wouldn't last forever. Clinton and the Democrats were in for a rude awakening. Skeletons began peeking out of the president's closet.
0: First, Paula Jones, a former Arkansas state employee, sued the president for sexual harassment in May of 1994. She alleged that Clinton exposed himself to her in 1991 while he was governor.
1: Second, a land deal that the president and his wife had made in Arkansas years before transformed into a minor scandal known as Whitewater. After the land ended up being unusable, the investment company working with the Clintons went broke.
0: However, the investigation centered around later events, which involved the purchase of a savings and loan company. Jim McDougall, the Clintons' co-investor, had acquired it and proceeded to defraud it out of $3 million.
1: It was unclear whether the Clintons had any connection to McDougal's fraud. Still, Republicans wanted them investigated. In August 1994, Republican Ken Starr was appointed by federal judges as independent counsel. He was to investigate the incident.
0: Which dovetailed right into the last and most devastating issue the Republicans had come up with a winning strategy for the November 1994 midterms. The plan, masterminded by House Minority Whip Newt Gingrich, was known as the Contract with America. The so-called contract called for clear conservative mandates, including reduced federal spending, balancing the deficit, lower taxes, and welfare
1: reform. Of all things, the Republicans had vehemently opposed Clinton's tax reforms. One of Gingrich's rallying cries was that Clinton was a tax-and-spend liberal, despite the fact that Clinton had actually worked to balance the federal deficit.
0: Gingrich's win-at-all-costs mentality came through in his wildly hyperbolic, partisan rhetoric in Congress and in the press. At one point, he referred to Clinton Democrats as the enemy of normal Americans.
1: However severe, his plan worked. Americans bought into the messaging. In a Republican revolution, the GOP gained 54 seats in the House and eight seats in the Senate. Now it was the Republicans who held a majority in both congressional houses. And from then on, the legislature would attempt to obstruct the president's every move.
0: Clinton would later claim that the stress of ongoing legal battles and an antagonistic Congress was what opened himself up for the biggest mistake of his presidency.
1: It came along several months after the devastating 1994 midterms. A young woman, fresh out of college, had started her unpaid summer internship at the White House. In early July 1995, Monica Lewinsky began work for Clinton's chief of staff, Leon Panetta. Lewinsky was a political junkie and thrilled to be within arm's reach of the Oval Office.
0: That proximity proved problematic, however, just a few weeks later. Mild flirtations began between the new, freshly 22-year-old intern and the president.
1: Meanwhile, in October 1995, negotiations on the federal budget had stalled due to the Republican Congress's lack of cooperation, which led to the second longest government shutdown in U.S. history. Gingrich's and the GOP's platform had been shrinking government spending, so their own budget proposals included cuts in Medicare, education, and environmental protections. Clinton refused to sign the proposed budget, arguing that the Republicans' budget was too draconian.
0: Without an approved budget for the next fiscal year, on November 14th, 800,000 government employees were furloughed, including White House staff. White House interns, however, were allowed to stay on since their positions were unpaid.
1: This meant Monica Lewinsky spent more one-on-one time with the president than ever before, which quickly escalated their flirtation into something physical. Overall, between November 1995 and March 1997, nine sexual encounters occurred between the president and Lewinsky.
0: Coincidentally or not, after the furlough, Lewinsky was promoted from intern to a paid position in the Office of Legislative Affairs in December of 1995. Her new role was to handle official correspondence from members of Congress, which she often hand-delivered to the Oval Office. This allowed the dalliances to continue.
1: But just a few months later, in April 1996... Lewinsky was transferred to an assistant position at the Public Affairs Office at the Pentagon. White House Chief of Staff Evelyn Lieberman and other colleagues believed Lewinsky spent too much time near the Oval Office. It was clear she had a crush on President Clinton.
0: It was a move to halt the improper relationship, but little did they know that Lewinsky's new workplace would ultimately escalate the situation and play a major role in the president's undoing.
1: At the Pentagon, Monica Lewinsky befriended Linda Tripp, a coworker. Tripp would later become the whistleblower who revealed the affair to the world.
0: Linda Tripp had been in the White House for some time. As a career staffer, she worked under George H.W. Bush and Clinton before transferring to the Pentagon. But she frowned upon the White House's new liberal culture. She wasn't President Clinton's biggest fan.
1: In fact, earlier that year, she had shopped an exposé about the Clinton White House with the help of her conservative literary agent, Lucianne Goldberg. The exposé included allegations that many of Clinton's young female staffers had slept with the president.
0: It almost seemed like fate brought Tripp and Lewinsky together. After all, Lewinsky was just the type of cautionary tale Tripp wanted to include in her exposé. As the two women grew closer, Lewinsky confided how much she missed working at the White House, specifically for the president.
1: At first, Tripp thought Lewinsky was just a political geek with a harmless crush. So when Lewinsky revealed the bombshell, Tripp was shocked. In the fall of 1996, Lewinsky confessed her affair with the president.
0: Knowing Lewinsky's secret, Tripp saw an opportunity. She actively encouraged the young woman to rekindle their so-called romance. When Lewinsky mentioned that her blue dress had a semen stain from the president, Tripp pressured Lewinsky to save it and not get it cleaned. Perhaps naively, Lewinsky believed Tripp was being supportive. The reality, of course, was the opposite. Tripp was gathering evidence.
1: Soon after Lewinsky's revelation, Tripp once again reached out to her literary agent. With the former intern's confession, Tripp had even more salacious material for her exposé, but she still needed proof to corroborate it. So Goldberg suggested that Tripp secretly record her conversations with Lewinsky. Tripp obliged.
0: Beginning in September of 1996, unbeknownst to Lewinsky, Tripp began recording their conversations. Every powwow or discussion in confidence was recorded, even though one-party taping was illegal in
1: Maryland. Recordings in hand, Tripp and Goldberg proceeded to leak information about the affair to Michael Isakoff, an investigative reporter at Newsweek. Goldberg had long despised Clinton and also pressed Tripp to leak information about his prior indiscretions. Namely, about the affair to Paula Jones' lawyers and Whitewater Independent Counsel Ken Starr.
0: Shortly thereafter, Paula Jones' lawyers were given an anonymous tip. They were informed that Monica Lewinsky was having an affair with the president. Then they subpoenaed Lewinsky on December 17, 1997, in an effort to prove that Clinton had displayed a pattern of sexual harassment.
1: Unfortunately for them, this effort largely failed. Three weeks later, on January 7, 1998, Lewinsky denied their claim. She signed an affidavit indicating she'd never maintained a sexual relationship with the president
0: but Linda Tripp wasn't done. Days later, on January 12, 1998, she spoke with Ken Starr about her Lewinsky tapes. Starr, too, was struggling. His Whitewater investigation had failed to uncover evidence linking the Clintons to a crime, despite months of searching.
1: So although uncovering a presidential affair was entirely out of the purview of Starr's investigation, He felt it would justify his fruitless case. Starr immediately set up a sting operation for the following day. This time, when Tripp met with Lewinsky, she would be wired.
0: Coming up, Tripp and Lewinsky meet once more, setting the stage for chaos. Hi, listeners. To celebrate our favorite month, Parcast Network is releasing a slate of new shows leaning into all things spooky and spine-tingling. And now we're bringing you an original series called Superstitions, featuring the origins and impacts of our most unusual beliefs and the stories of those who dare to defy them. Every week on Superstitions, hear a new drama that illustrates the eeriness and unlocks the mysteries of humanity's strangest codes of conduct. Like holding your breath while passing a cemetery so you don't wake the dead and make them jealous. Or carrying the foot of an animal known to have an evil eye. Or using iron to keep away the devil. They may seem mystical or even completely illogical. But one thing is certain you ignore them at your own risk. You can find and follow Superstitions free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To hear more Parcast shows, search Parcast Network in Spotify's search bar and find a growing slate of spooky October programming to enjoy.
1: Now, back to the story.
0: By early 1998 former White House intern Monica Lewinsky had denied an affair with President Clinton. However, her colleague Linda Tripp hadn't given up on exposing the tryst. She'd even paired with independent counsel Ken Starr to try once more for damning evidence.
1: On January 13th, at a swanky bar in the Pentagon City Ritz-Carlton, Trip wore a wire and got Lewinsky to dish on her affair with the president once again. Starr and his team, of course, listened in.
0: Then, two days later, Starr took this new evidence to Attorney General Janet Reno. He asked for permission to expand his probe from Whitewater into the Clinton-Lewinsky allegations. His new plan was that his team would investigate possible obstruction of justice in the Paula Jones case and Lewinsky's possible perjury.
1: That same day, Tripp and Lewinsky met once again at the Ritz-Carlton. This time, however, FBI agents and Starr's attorneys descended on Lewinsky. She was held in a hotel room for over 11 hours. What
0: exactly happened in Room 1012 is a matter of debate. Starr contended that Lewinsky was free to go at any time and could contact her lawyer if she chose. Lewinsky's account, though, was much different.
1: Lewinsky said she was repeatedly intimidated by the agents who demanded she agree to be wired and meet with the president. Otherwise, she'd face jail time. When she asked to speak to her lawyer, she was denied that privilege as well. Instead, in exchange for her testimony, she was offered immunity by Starr's team.
0: It wasn't until she was allowed to speak to her mother that Lewinsky found a way to defuse the situation temporarily. Her mother contacted a family friend, lawyer William Ginsburg, who told Lewinsky not to take the immunity until he knew more about the case. He then flew out to Washington the next day to help Lewinsky navigate the ordeal.
1: At best, the investigation was navigating questionable territory and potentially illegal at worst. Still, Starr contended that Lewinsky had been forced by the White House to perjure herself in her Jones affidavit. Starr also ignored the obvious fact that Lewinsky herself did not want the affair to come to light.
0: And neither, of course, did President Clinton. On January 17th, he denied under oath in a deposition for the Jones trial that he had no sexual relationship with Lewinsky.
1: Clinton was battening down the hatches, hoping to ride out the storm using a singular tactic, deny, deny, deny.
0: Unfortunately for the president, that very same day, The story was picked up by the conservative political gossip website, The Drudge Report. It was a
1: grim day in history. The story spread like wildfire. By January 21st, nearly every news network had reported on the President and Lewinsky. When reached for comment, Clinton still vehemently denied the affair.
0: And continued to. Five days later, during a White House press conference, president clinton stood with his wife hillary and publicly rejected the allegations wagging his finger scoldingly he said i'm not going to say this again i did not have sexual relations with that woman miss Lewinsky. i never told anybody to lie not a single time never these allegations are false and i need to go back to work for the american people He then left the room without taking any further questions.
1: The next day, Hillary Clinton appeared on the Today Show to underscore her husband's message. She claimed the accusations were part of a vast right-wing conspiracy that has been conspiring against my husband since the day he announced for president.
0: While her accusation was wildly overblown, the First Lady was right in one thing, Ken Starr's Office of Independent Counsel had a vendetta against her husband. After failing to find any hard evidence against the president in the Whitewater investigation, Starr had merely pivoted. He ran full force into investigating Clinton's affair with Lewinsky.
1: Superficially, the investigation was into the affair itself. But having an affair wasn't illegal. Thus, Starr had to alter the focus of his investigation into alleged obstruction of justice.
0: That same week, Starr began subpoenaing members of Clinton's staff. They were prompted to appear in front of a grand jury to testify on details of Clinton and Lewinsky's
1: relationship. As the controversy boiled over, many Republicans began urging Clinton to resign. But Clinton wasn't going down without a fight. On February 6th, he declared, I would never walk away from the people of this country and the trust they've placed in me.
0: That supposed trust was misplaced. President Clinton would not reveal the truth to the American public for several more months.
1: In the meantime, Starr's grand jury inquiry continued despite the president's repeated denials. Starr subpoenaed almost everyone, from Lewinsky's mother to Clinton's secretary.
0: Following Starr's subpoena of his top aides, on March 21st, Clinton and his legal team decided to invoke executive privilege. They were still trying to prevent the aides from divulging critical information.
1: In Washington, it looked like pleasantries were out the door. Some believed Starr's investigation was a fishing expedition designed to embarrass the president rather than find a crime. Even former President George H.W. Bush came to Clinton's defense when Starr subpoenaed Secret Service officers. A backlash was brewing against the potentially overzealous investigation.
0: On April 1st, the embattled president got a bit of good news. The judge in the Paula Jones sexual harassment trial had dismissed the case due to lack of evidence. Nevertheless, one aspect remained in play. His testimony that he did not have a sexual relationship with Lewinsky could still be used as grounds for a perjury charge.
1: Knowing this, Clinton began pushing the message that Ken Starr and his allies were conservative hatchet men. They were trying to mire his presidency in a false scandal. On April 30th, in the first press conference since the Lewinsky allegations became public, Clinton alleged there was a hard, well-financed, vigorous effort to ruin his reputation.
0: As evidence, Clinton and his allies pointed to the leaks coming from Ken Starr's office. All testimony and evidence from the grand jury was supposed to be sealed and confidential. Yet, somehow, reporters kept getting their hands on the information.
1: At that same press conference, when Clinton was asked if the American public should care about a president's personal life, Clinton deflected. He said carefully, I really believe it's important for me not to say any more about this. I think that I'm in some ways the last person who needs to be having a national conversation about this.
0: And the national conversation surprisingly favored the president at this point. Though they disagreed with his personal choices, the majority of Americans still approved of his job performance.
1: Which was remarkable, granted that the American media was completely saturated with every development of the scandal. Despite the fact that the president was in the position of authority in the relationship, the young intern was made the focal target. Lewinsky shouldered the brunt of the bad press, and ultimately became the scapegoat, instead of her 49-year-old boss.
0: Soon, her name was a punchline on every late-night TV show. Her weight, her clothing, her voice, even her stint at fat camp as a child were mocked. Even respectable newspapers got in on the personal attacks. The Wall Street Journal referred to her as a little tart, The New York Times went further, calling Lewinsky a ditzy, predatory White House intern who might have lied under oath for a job at Revlon.
1: Clinton and his allies, unfortunately, let the press have their heyday with Lewinsky's supposed shortcomings. They took the focus off the president. It seemed that maybe they could ride out this storm after all. Or
0: so they thought. On July 17, 1998, Ken Starr served Clinton a subpoena to appear before the federal grand jury. This was a pivotal moment. Clinton would be the first sitting president to testify before a grand jury regarding his own conduct.
1: But that wasn't even the worst of it, for Clinton at least. Ten days later, on July twenty-eighth, Lewinsky and her lawyers announced that she had signed an immunity deal with Starr. The deal required Lewinsky to turn in her blue dress with Clinton's semen stain.
0: Now Starr's team had hard evidence that Clinton had engaged in a sexual relationship with Lewinsky. The president had a DNA sample taken to match against the dress. It seemed the jig was finally up.
1: But first, Monica Lewinsky would testify before the grand jury. Over multiple days, Lewinsky laid out her entire relationship with the president. It was a cringe-worthy time. The grand jury proceeded to ask extremely intimate questions. It seemed no detail of the sex acts the two had engaged in was off limits.
0: Understandably, Lewinsky was wary of and humiliated by the entire situation. She told the grand jury, "'I'm really sorry for everything that's happened, "'and I hate Linda Tripp.'" Despite everything, Tripp's betrayal appeared to have hurt Lewinsky the most.
1: Meanwhile, President Clinton was caught between a rock and a hard place. If he admitted his affair with Lewinsky, it would prove he committed perjury in the Paula Jones case. But if he continued with his denials, he could potentially set himself up to be charged with perjury again. With his grand jury testimony on August 17th rapidly approaching, he needed to make a decision.
0: So he decided to take an unorthodox approach, landing between these two options. During his testimony, Clinton admitted to having inappropriate sexual contact with Lewinsky, but denied he had committed perjury.
1: When the president was asked whether his lawyer's statement in the Paula Jones case, that no sex in any manner, shape, or form with Lewinsky occurred, Clinton answered, It depends on what the meaning of the word is, is.
0: Clinton's circuitous logic was that the relationship had been in the past. They hadn't said under oath there was no relationship. They'd only said there wasn't one actively occurring in the present. Needless to say, this excuse left many Americans scratching their heads. This wasn't the whole truth, and they knew it.
1: Just hours after his grand jury testimony, the president addressed the nation in a televised speech. Then, Clinton finally admitted to his affair with Lewinsky, saying, I did have a relationship with Ms. Lewinsky that was not appropriate. In fact, it was wrong. It constituted a critical lapse in judgment and a personal failure on my part for which I am solely and completely responsible. To some, this was public humiliation, and it seemed like enough of a punishment for the president.
0: But not to Ken Starr. On September 9, 1998, Starr released his report to the House of Representatives. It amounted to 445 pages with 18 boxes of supporting evidence. The report also highlighted 11 impeachable offenses committed by Clinton, centering on perjury and obstruction of justice. Overall, the Republican-led investigation of the Clinton administration totaled to almost $80 million, or close to $137 million adjusted for inflation in 2020.
1: Oddly, Whitewater, the initial reason for Starr's probe, was barely mentioned in the report. Instead, the Clinton-Lewinsky affair was dissected in almost pornographic detail.
0: On September 11th, Starr's report and the grand jury testimony were released to the press. Suddenly, the president's sexual proclivities were public knowledge, Conservatives thought once and for all that Americans would see Clinton for what he truly was, immoral and depraved. They were wrong.
1: While some enjoyed the explicit gossip surrounding Clinton, the majority of Americans still rallied behind the president. A September 14th poll revealed Clinton's approval rating had risen since the release of the Star Report to 64%. Only 36% believed he should resign, and only 31% believed he should be impeached.
0: Perhaps Americans felt bad for the president, or they had just grown tired of the nonstop coverage of the affair.
1: Yet despite the public support, Clinton and his allies had one more fierce storm to weather, impeachment proceedings.
0: Coming up, Clinton and the Democrats battle the Republican majority during congressional impeachment proceedings.
1: Now, back to the story.
0: By October of 1998, President Bill Clinton had finally admitted to one of his misdeeds, his affair with White House intern Monica Lewinsky. However, he still denied that he tried to obstruct justice. He claimed he and his staff never told anyone to lie regarding the affair.
1: Republicans in the House of Representatives, led by Newt Gingrich, had a hard time believing this. On October 8th, the House voted along party lines to begin an impeachment inquiry. Republicans had made their move to turn the impeachment into a moral fight between good and evil. When the vote was announced, Clinton framed it as a personal attack, saying, we must stop the politics of personal destruction.
0: The Republicans, meanwhile, saw the vote as one to restore the nation's soul. House Majority Leader Dick Armey declared, this vote is not about the character of a president. It is about the character of a nation.
1: Republicans holding traditional family values painted themselves as morally and ethically superior to the Democrats. Looking ahead to the 1998 midterms, They expected to gain over 20 seats in the House. They gave little consideration to the notion that they'd overplayed their hand.
0: In the elections held on November 3rd, Democrats surprised their counterparts by making significant gains in the House.
1: Which yielded immediate consequences for the Republicans. On November 6th, Newt Gingrich announced that he would be stepping down from his role as Speaker of the House. He'd resign from Congress that coming January.
0: Meanwhile, on November 13th, the Paula Jones case, which had arguably initiated the entire scandal, was settled once and for all. After Jones' lawyers appealed to the prior judge's dismissal of the case— Clinton agreed to pay Jones $850,000. This meant she would drop her case, but Clinton would maintain his innocence.
1: The president was also able to maintain his innocence regarding Whitewater. On November 19th, Ken Starr's investigation finally ended. There was insufficient evidence linking the Clintons to any crime.
0: These tense few weeks set the stage for one last showdown, the House Judiciary Committee's decision on the articles of impeachment. On December 11th, the Republican-led committee agreed to four articles of impeachment. Grand jury perjury, obstruction of justice, perjury in the Paula Jones case, and abuse of power would be sent to the House floor for a vote.
1: Clinton's counsel, meanwhile, released a condemnation of the impeachment proceedings. He said, Nothing about this process has been fair. Nothing about this process has been bipartisan. And nothing about this process has won the confidence of the American people.
0: These objections couldn't stop the House from voting on December 19th, though. As expected, it voted along party lines to impeach the president narrowly approving two of the four articles. Subsequently, President Clinton became only the second president in U.S. history to be impeached after Andrew Johnson.
1: The remainder of President Clinton's fate would rest with the Senate.
0: On January 7th, the Senate began its own month-long impeachment trial. Over three days, managers from the House of Representatives served as prosecutors, presenting their case for the two articles of impeachment. They felt the removal of Clinton from office was justified due to his willful, premeditated, deliberate corruption of the nation's system of justice through perjury and obstruction of justice.
1: Then it was the defense's turn. Over three days, Clinton's lawyers argued that the investigation had been politically biased. They used the president's sky-high approval rating as proof that he was fit for office. They also denigrated the House managers themselves, saying they presented an unsubstantiated circumstantial case that does not meet the constitutional standard to remove the president from office.
0: By February 8, 1999, it was time for closing arguments. Each side was given three hours to make its final points. Clinton's lawyers argued that the American public had largely been unaffected by this scandal, thus it was not an impeachable offense. His lead attorney asked the senators in attendance, Would it put at risk the liberties of the people to retain the president in office? Putting aside partisan animus, if you can honestly say that it would not, that those liberties are safe in his hands, then you must vote to acquit.
1: The chief house manager, Henry Hyde, meanwhile, declined to ask questions. Instead, he made a moral declaration saying, A failure to convict will make the statement that lying under oath while unpleasant and to be avoided is not all that serious. We have reduced lying under oath to a breach of etiquette, but only if you are the president. And now, let us take our place in history on the side of honor and, oh yes, let right be done.
0: After much contention and grandstanding, the trial was done, for now. But the private debate would continue until February 12th, when the Senate would finally vote.
1: It would take a two-thirds majority or 67 votes for the president to be impeached. Unfortunately for the plaintiffs, there were only 55 Republicans in the Senate.
0: Perhaps then, it was no surprise that the Senate acquitted the president on both charges. With two votes of 45 to 55 and 50 to 50, Clinton was found not guilty of perjury or obstruction of justice. No Democrat had voted in favor of either article.
1: What was surprising was that several Republicans joined their Democrat rivals in voting against the impeachment charges. It was a harbinger of the split forming within the Republican Party between moderates and conservatives.
0: Furthermore, these senators, unlike their Republican House colleagues, did not want to be punished at the voting booth. If they backed an unpopular impeachment, it might mean their jobs.
1: As the schism dug deeper within the Republican Party, President Clinton was officially cleared of all wrongdoings. And yet, despite his ultimate victory, no one would emerge from the scandal unscathed. Two months after the impeachment trial, in April 1999, the judge in the Paula Jones case cited Clinton for contempt of the court for his failure to testify honestly.
0: The day before he left office, January 20, 2000, Clinton agreed to a five-year suspension of his law license in addition to a $25,000 fine. Nevertheless, He finished his term with an approval rating higher than any president since Harry Truman.
1: And for former White House intern Monica Lewinsky, life often felt like one of a social pariah. She struggled to find work and was endlessly harassed, both privately and publicly. She has since divulged that being dragged into the public's scornful eye made her deeply depressed and even suicidal at times.
0: In recent years, Lewinsky has become an anti-bullying activist. She's used her time in the spotlight as a platform to advocate against the type of harassment she experienced. While she has always maintained her relationship with Clinton was consensual— she now agrees with more modern interpretations of the relationship that Clinton abused his position of power on a young female co-worker. To this day, Bill Clinton has never personally apologized to Lewinsky.
1: What's most striking about the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal is how it's framed today. It's still regarded by some as a personal affair that was blown out of proportion by hypocritical politicians. The president's perjury is often overlooked.
0: But maybe that's partially due to the Republicans themselves. It certainly doesn't help that seven who voted in favor of impeachment were later found to be having affairs themselves, including Speaker of the House Newt
1: Gingrich. Gingrich, who at the height of the scandal, said Clinton turned the American presidency into the rough equivalent of the Jerry Springer show. Gingrich had had an affair with a congressional aide in her 20s. This relationship closely mirrored that of Clinton and Lewinsky.
0: And Ken Starr, the intrepid and supposedly independent investigator, maintained that his investigation was about the letter of the law. In an interview with Diane Sawyer, he insisted it wasn't about taking down Clinton, saying, you never, ever, ever commit perjury.
1: But even Starr didn't follow his own advice. He had almost certainly lied under oath before the House Judiciary Committee when he claimed not to have contacted Paula Jones' lawyers. Luckily for him, no investigation into his potential perjury followed.
0: As for Linda Tripp, arguably the match that started the fire, she never did write her tell-all book. Instead, she became a revered figure on the conservative right as Clinton's whistleblower. On the flip side, she was reviled on the left as Lewinsky's backstabber.
1: Overall, the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal rippled outward into America. Not only did it define its central figures, It also left an indelible mark on politics as we know it. The heated impeachment proceedings were the catalyst for a bitter divide in Congress, which continues today. This rift has spilled over into the public and largely divided the country into two opposing intractable camps.
0: What began as a controversy over an illicit affair became a political battleground, Republicans versus Democrats. That battle mentality still infects American politics to this day.
1: Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with number two on our countdown, the Iran-Contra affair, when during the Reagan administration, Thousands of missiles were sold off to Iran despite a strict embargo.
0: You can find all episodes of Political Scandals and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
1: To stream Political Scandals on Spotify, just open the app, Tap Browse and type Political Scandals in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Political Scandals was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Stephen Davies, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Political Scandals was written by Matt Hartman, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Kate Leonard, and Richard Rossner.
0: Hang a horseshoe above your door, keep a rabbit's foot in your pocket, and follow Superstitions free on Spotify. Listen every Wednesday for the surprising backstories to our most curious beliefs and thrilling tales that illuminate the mystical eeriness of our favorite superstitions.